0: It has been a great morning. I tell you what, we have been praying that the Holy Spirit would would work uh, as we come together and worship, as we invite God into our presence and lift up praises to Him. And I just, I feel Him working powerfully, uh, although we must know He is always around us. And I am thankful that you have come here to worship uh, our Lord and Savior. We have a few things I want to let you uh, be made aware of. You can start picking up these baskets. In fact, you don't even have to pick them up. We're going to have a, a, some ladies who are going to be at the back at the end of worship, and they would love to hand these out to you. Uh, what you need to do is, if you want to take one of these, there's a list of items that you can put in the basket, and then make sure that you bring it back Um, by November the 19th, or before then, that's when on a Wednesday night we're going to sort them all out and make sure they have what they need in them. And then on the 23rd, we are going to deliver these bags. So let me let you know of a couple things. Even if you choose... Um, to to take one of these bags and fill it up. That doesn't obligate you to deliver it, um, although it would be nice if you did. You're just going to bring it back and then we'll we'll send them back out again. However, if for some reason um, you don't like to shop or are unable to, but you would like to help in this endeavor, uh, please find one of our elders or our minister's or we have Carol at the office and uh, Judy Taylor, any number of these ladies. Anybody here will accept your money, to be honest. Just find somebody, give them the money and say, I can't shop, but would you uh, please uh, make sure this gets to somebody. And we're, we're going to be purchasing hams. Uh, we go and we wipe out, uh, Judy, we, we go and we wipe out all the grocery stores with all the hams that we can get our hands on. So uh, we would appreciate those donations as well. One more thing I want to make you aware of, I I, I am quite uh, possibly the most apolitical person there is uh, in Hobbes, maybe in all of the country. I'm just, I'm not smart enough to handle politics, Uh, I don't really do well with politicians uh, too much, and so I, I don't want to say a whole lot about this, but there is an election that is coming up. I don't want to talk about parties, I don't want to talk about candidates, all I want to talk about is this. I believe that the church has been created by God to go out and make an impact in the lives of people within our community, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and yes, even within our government. And so I encourage you, I implore you to take some time to read up about these candidates, find about the things that they believe in on key issues, specifically with ethical issues, what what they believe about these things, and whether or not um, they are going to represent you properly if they are elected. And I'll say this, and we're going to talk about this in class in our Church 101, uh, our topic this week, which I really want you to be a part of, uh, if you can, is we're going to talk about where does church and government come together? Do they intersect? Do they collide? There was an elected official four years ago who became mayor in Houston, and this mayor decided that she wanted uh, equal rights for all citizens in Houston and created the HERO Act, which is Houston's equal rights uh, operation, or organization, uh, wanted to, to reach out to people. There's one thing, she seems to have a little bit of agenda being that she believes uh, and participates uh, in same-sex marriage. Uh, one of the... One of the the deals with the hero was that all people would be treated equally. And one of those things, it's a small byline down there, but one of those things is if you are transgendered, that it is you are being discriminated if somebody asked you to go into a certain public restroom that you should get to choose which one you want to go to. And that has been a bill, an amendment that has passed. They needed 17,000 votes to uh, repeal that. And a bunch of churches got together and some pastors and preachers says, we need to stop this. This isn't right. We don't need a bunch of guys going into ladies' restrooms and ladies'. And there's some other issues along with that. So they provided 50,000 signatures. And the council looked at that and said, oh, there's a bunch of errors. Only 15,000 of those 17,000 signatures actually count, so we're throwing it out. She then, in retaliation to that, the mayor subpoenaed all the sermons by every, uh, every pastor and preacher in Houston that they were supposed to give over their sermons if in any of their sermons they talked about same-sex marriage, if they talked about um, her in particular. She also subpoenaed their personal communications, their email. She said, you have to send them in to me because I want to look them over and review them and find out if what you're saying in your places of worship actually fit with what we're trying to do here. Folks, We cannot simply step away and say, oh, the government belongs to this world. We are called to be a light, and that means that we have to be willing participants in this. And so I'm going to ask that you do as the Bible calls us to do, to pray for our leaders, learn about them, vote for the ones who are going to bring us closer to God. It's not the government's responsibility to save the world. It's the churches, but we should have an impact on our government. And so my prayer for each one of you as we get closer to this election is let Jesus' light shine through your understanding and the vote that you make for these people. God can do powerful things, but He needs us to get up and work. Let's begin with a prayer, and we'll, we'll jump into John chapter 11. Father God, I just... We understand that we are in a broken world, but because of that, we also understand that that makes makes your deliverance so much greater, that we can call upon you, and you're not a God who throws up your hand in disgust and walks away. Instead, you gently lead us, and you guide us, and you love us. And so Lord, let us be an impacting uh, voice that talks about a God of love and a God of mercy and a God of holiness. May we seek to search you and find you and be more like you every day. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Okay, let's go to John chapter 11. We've spent a lot of time in here. I figured out that it takes me just as long to summarize as it does to read. Uh, And so we're just going to read. This is now our fourth installment, our our fourth uh, lesson that we've had on John chapter 11. And my prayer for you is that throughout the rest of your life, when you hear the John 11 some of the things that we've talked about will immediately come to mind, and there will be some truths that you will hang on to that it's more than just one small verse about Jesus weeping so we're just going to start in John chapter eleven verse one, and we'll, we'll read through uh, till, till we get to um, forty four now a man named Lazarus was sick; he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister martha this martha who's So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed with her. He stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But, Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going to go back there? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may also die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for, for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. "Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will ask whatever, that God will give whatever you ask." Jesus said to her, "Your brother will rise again. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day." Jesus said to her. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went out. He was deeply moved in spirit and was indignant. Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. Jesus wept. Then the Jews says, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, Take the grave clothes, take off the grave clothes and let him go. We're not going to continue on with John chapter 11, but we learned from this, as we talked about several weeks ago, this is a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. It was from this point that he would claim to be the resurrection and the life. It would be at this point that he would say, Not even death has a hold on me. It was at this point that the Jews realized, We have got to stop him as a result of what He would do here in Bethany, it would be a direct reflection on how the Jews felt about Him and how ultimately, the, ultimately they would say, Jesus must die. But Jesus already knew this. It was His plan to go in Judea, and He knew His time wasn't, uh, yet, had not yet come, but it was coming. And He knew... He knew that He would be the sacrifice. But let's back up a little bit because He includes us in this. We talked about an invitation that He offered several weeks ago. An invitation to believe Him. An invitation to go out to Him And an invitation to be there to actually roll away the stone. He could have done it himself, but instead he says, I want you to be a part of this. And now as we pick up in verse 38, we see that Jesus was moved. He calls them to roll the stone away. But Martha objects. Martha says, no, 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 no. What are you talking about? There's a time out here. There's a pausing of the screen. There's a, wait just a second. You don't understand, Jesus. You don't understand. You see, most likely word had already reached Bethany from what Jesus had done months ago when it was Jairus' daughter who had been raised from the dead. Surely they knew that Jesus had the power to raise people. But this was a different story. Think about that for just a second. Think about how God's power can be displayed in other situations, but somehow we struggle to allow His power to come into our lives. God can do great things through people, but He can't do anything through me. Yeah, He can raise the dead, but but this was different. Yeah, I know He can heal people, but but not me. And, And I know He offers forgiveness, but that's for everybody else. Jesus invites us to accept the grace and the mercy, the forgiveness and the healing that He can give. But for some reason, it seems so easy to let it happen to other people, but we don't think it can happen in our lives. Steve pointed out the the big lie that that God can't really use us because we're not good enough. You see, Satan loves to convince lost people that they're saved and saved people that they're lost. And that's what he's trying to do here. And so Martha makes her objection. Lord, I mean, she just says this. He stinks. I mean, don't you know this? We've talked about this already, but it's on the third day in which, according to Jewish custom, they would go prepare the body, making sure, literally, they would make sure that the person was dead. They would check and make sure they were dead, and after they determined that, then they would prepare the body. The body has been prepared, decomposition has already taken place, and after four days, Lazarus stinks. And Martha says, you roll the stone away... And it's going to get messy. And this is where Jesus, in my mind, I hear Him say, that's exactly where I want Him to be. If we look back a few verses earlier where we had read, it was Jesus who, speaking to His disciples, would say, I am glad that Lazarus is dead. Now that doesn't seem to go along with anything else that Jesus has done. Early on in the chapter, Jesus said that he loved Lazarus. Later on, he's actually going to weep because those who loved Lazarus were weeping. But here we have Jesus at one point says, For your sake, I'm glad that Lazarus was dead. And now we have right here, I think Jesus is saying, I am glad that Lazarus stinks. I'm glad that he smells. He needs to be dead, all dead, completely dead. Because if He's still alive, I can't raise Him from the dead. He's got to stink. I, 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 didn't, I didn't plan this. This is obviously the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I want to commend Barry for, for your willingness to come and, and pray Scripture over us. And I want to encourage each one of you in your life, if this is not a spiritual discipline that you normally engage in, that you open up passages in the Bible and you pray them aloud. Go to Psalms. And one of the greatest examples of a powerful prayer was one that Barry shared with us, Psalm 51. Did did you get the gist of the prayer? You know what really David says? David had an affair with Bathsheba, He gets her pregnant. He decides to do the rational thing. Kill Bathsheba's husband, who happened to be one of his mighty men, because that would fix everything. Nathan comes to David, the prophet, and says, David, you're the man. You've sinned. And what does David say in Psalm 51? You know what he says? I'm going to paraphrase this for you. I don't know Hebrew real well, but here's what I think he says. I stink! That's what He says. Clean my heart. Renew my spirit. I'm broken. I need God. I need His forgiveness. How about Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6 talks about His commission. And he has this vision of these seraphs, and and they're flying around these angels, and they're singing, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty." And do you know what Isaiah does? Does he go, "Yes, this is awesome. I got front row seats." He says this. Listen to this. He says, "Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips." You know what he says? He says, I stink! I'm no good! And God is going to use him in a powerful way. In the same way that David and his life and his pointing to God would not end after Psalm 51. It was really, in some ways, much more powerful. You see, in order... For Lazarus to be raised from the dead, he had to smell. There couldn't be any of this, you know what, I'm good, I'm going to come out myself. I can do this, I can overcome this, I'm strong enough. I've got enough money in my savings account. I've been well educated. I've got friends. I know this lawyer, he can help me out. I can fix these things. I can pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can do this. That works in some areas of life. It does not work with your salvation. God can't do anything until you stink. And until you admit it. That's why we're called to confess. And so i got a simple question. Do you stink? Are you willing to smell? Are you willing to let other people know that you're a broken person? Because God won't call you out of the grave until you're willing to recognize that you need Him. That's how God works. He doesn't want you to show up with a smile saying, I've got great church attendance. I taught Bible class. I'm a deacon. My husband's an elder. He doesn't want all of these long lists within a resume that you use to convince yourself and maybe others that you don't stink. I'm not trying to make a downer out of this. Because there's a really big swing that's about to take place. Lazarus is about to be raised from the dead. And forever, people will remember Lazarus for being the one who four days in the grave and smelling, Jesus would call him out. Are you willing to admit? Can we take off our Sunday morning, smiling, God bless you, brother, things are great, and be willing to be a people who say, you know what, I'm broken. I'm struggling with my marriage, with my finances, things aren't going well with my kids. I need prayers. My sister and I haven't talked in six months after we had an argument. Are we really willing to be genuine and authentic and willing to stink? I mean, I think that's the great irony is that all of us are broken. And what offers healing is Jesus. And so when we come here, We can say two things. We smell really bad. And Jesus still calls us out of the tomb. He still raises us from the dead. I want to encourage you to be authentic people. Because as long as you think you're good and clean and nice and wonderful, you're taken away from a God who would pull you out of the grave. I have one more thought I want us to close with before we offer an invitation. Again, it's, it's a comment that, that Jesus would make. I always wonder why Jesus does the things that He does, and I know He has a reason behind it, and so I always want to try to figure out. Um, I don't know how close in proximity that Jesus was to the tomb. I mean, I suspect he was pretty close, right? I mean, a few feet, I don't know. I mean, he was close enough that Martha was worried that he would smell something. And so he says, roll away the tomb. Martha says, oh, don't do it. And he says, says, I told you, if you believe, you will see God's glory. Which I, I do want you to know, Jesus is not saying, if you don't believe, I can't do this. He just says, if you want to see the glory, then you're going to have to believe in me. And so the tomb is, the stone is rolled away from the tomb. Jesus offers a prayer, and he says, I don't pray this for my benefit, because I already know that you hear me. I pray this so other people may know who I am and where I came from. And then he, he does this. Do you remember what he says? Three words. What does he say? Okay, so, we're in the church building. I know that's not how we do it. But how did he really say it? Why? Why did he do it? Troy, why did he do it? He's only a few feet away. Why didn't he say, Lazarus, come out. I mean, why didn't he do like a snap? I mean, he can do anything. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, be funny or anything. But, I mean, he could have done anything. He could have just done like this. The people needed to hear it. Lazarus knew it! Lazarus didn't need to hear the loud yell. It's so that other people would hear that God can do great things when stinky people come out of tombs. That's what we need. God is glorified when He takes the mess of our lives and He makes Something beautiful out of it. Just before I came up here, it, it actually it was right before communion. Lily, bless her heart, she was sitting on the pew and she had her colors. And she was coloring on a piece of paper. And Jennifer was helping her out. And this to me just struck me as something so profound. She wanted to draw a flower. Gracie. Her name is Gracie, Gracie, the little one, the two-year-old, not Lily. Thank you, Jennifer. Gracie, one day, many years from now, I'm going to look at my kids and I'm going to get all their names right. But until then, trust me, it's Gracie, the little one. And so she wants to make it fun. So she starts coloring on here, right? She starts coloring on here. And let's be honest with you. It was not a pretty flower. It didn't look like a flower. I'm not sure what it looked like. Scribbling it best. Okay? And then you know what she did next? She handed the marker to Jennifer. And Jennifer began to make a circle around that scribble and then these little petals around it. And then she made a stem and some leaves on it. And Lily would point to those little spots Gracie, Father forgive me, the little one. Okay, from now on it's just number three. Number three, Gracie Gracie says she points to that spot and Jennifer, I did get your name right, more important, starts to color it in. And Jennifer, being the artist of the family, uses that little scribble from Gracie and makes this beautiful flower. And Gracie takes back again, and she starts to scribble another one. And she says, she says, Mama, flower. And Jennifer takes the marker, and she puts a circle around that scribble, and fills it in, and makes these petals around it. And I thought, isn't that what God does? He takes our scribbles, He takes our flaws, and He makes something beautiful out of it. We can't make beautiful flowers But God does. We can't raise people from the dead. But God does. We can't be able to have a sinless life but God, through His Son Jesus, took our sins and put them on the cross. in that ugly, ugly, cruel thing that was meant for humiliation and death, God made beautiful. So I'm asking you today, please be ugly, be stinky, and let God be glorified because He makes beautiful things out of the messes of our lives. May our lives be like Psalm 51 where we speak of a God of love and faithfulness, and forgiveness. And if you want to know a God like that, if you want to take the mess of your life and let Him fix it, and be able to point to a God who forgives and loves, then this morning, as we sing a song of invitation, I want you to come forward and talk about a God who fixes broken lives. Let us stand and sing.